Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and you're listening to The Takeaway. More than 40 million Americans shoulder the burden of student loan debt. And for some, the weight's so heavy, they're unable to buy a house, start a family, or begin a business. Even before the pandemic, one in seven borrowers were delinquent on student loan payments, which is why the Trump administration paused student loan payments at the height of the pandemic, and why the Biden administration has sought more permanent solutions to lessen the education debt burden and its very real effects on families and the economy. But just as the student loan forgiveness party was getting started, somebody turned on the lights. Now the Biden plan is tied up in court and everyone is waiting to learn if the sweet sound of relief is going to restart or if it's time to cue up the morning music as a dream of respite perishes. Betsy Mayotte is a self-proclaimed student loan nerd and the president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors. She stopped by The Takeaway to answer all of our questions and yours. She started by talking about that party that's on pause. We're in an anxiously waiting period. There was several court cases that were filed to try to stop that debt relief as a whole. And eventually the White House just said, okay, enough of this. And they asked the Supreme Court to fast track it, to sort of make the decision to bless it or not bless it as soon as possible. How soon is as soon as possible likely to be? So they have committed to uh, hearing arguments. If you look at their calendar, it's the end of February, beginning of March period, and that they would be issuing their rulings uh, sometime towards the end of June, which if you look at typical Supreme Court cases, that is remarkably fast. All right, I wanna go to some questions. I wanna start with a question from one of my producers here. This is Katerina. I have a few loans from undergrad and grad school, and they have different interest rates. So I'm wondering if we ever do get forgiveness, if we can choose which loans that is applied to. Great question. And I have good news and bad news, but the answer is mostly good. The borrower does not have a choice as to how the forgiveness amount will be applied to their loans. However, the Department of Education has published the order for which they will be applying this forgiveness. At the top of the list are loans that are in default. If you don't have any loans in default, they'll then look for the loan with the highest interest rate and apply the forgiveness to that loan first. If all your loans have the same interest rate, then they start looking at if the loans are unsubsidized or subsidized. In other words, they are going to choose from a financial perspective which loan is the best one to get forgiveness applied to it first. You make the point about if you have loans in default. And, you know, for some folks, they have been saying, hey, look, the pandemic was tough, but I kept making my payments throughout the period of the pandemic. So, what if a borrower was, in fact, making payments throughout the pandemic? So, if you were making payments during the pandemic and taking advantage, for most federal student loan borrowers have been enjoying a 0% interest rate during the pandemic. If by chance you paid your loan down below the amount that you think you're going to get in forgiveness if the Supreme Court should bless this program, then you can call and ask for a refund of those payments. To be clear, anybody who paid during COVID can call and ask for a refund of COVID payments. Whether you should or not is dependent on whether you would stand to get that amount forgiven anyway. 
For example, if before COVID started, you owed, say, $12,000, and during COVID, you've paid it down to $7,000, and based on your calculations, you stand to get $10,000 forgiven, then it would be a really good idea to call and ask for $3,000 of that back. But if, say, before COVID, you owed $50,000, and you've paid about $5,000 during COVID, bringing you down to $45,000, the forgiveness amount isn't going to bring you down to zero. So there's no real value of asking for that refund in that situation. There have been multiple pauses, restarts, pauses, and I never know whether I should ignore those emails coming to me or actually pay that loan. So are we on a pause right now? We are. And they extended the pause because of the court actions that have been going on. What they've stated is that payments are going to resume within 60 days after the Supreme Court makes their decision. At this point, again, the Supreme Court has indicated that's not going to happen until the end of June. So we're all anticipating payments to resume in August. All right. I love this next question. It's from another producer of ours, Monica. Why is it that when you pay off your student loans, there are no benefits to paying it off other than not having the debt, obviously, but It doesn't help your credit. Nothing actually happens other than you just get rid of the debt. So why is it that if you don't pay, it does hurt you? And if you do, nothing happens. And will that change anytime soon? Monica, I love the question too, only because I have been in this industry since the earth cooled. And I thought I had heard every question there ever was to ask. And I have never been asked this one. So to say that nothing good happens when you pay off your student debt, I don't think that's necessarily true. For some borrowers, it does improve their credit score and certainly could improve their credit score over the long run. It certainly improves your debt to income ratio by eliminating a debt, which is something that is also taken very seriously into account when you try to take on new credit, such as a car loan or a mortgage. The reason not paying your loan negatively affects your credit is the credit score is a way of telling a future potential lender whether you're a good risk or not. And if your credit score is low, it means that either you're not a good risk or you're not as good a risk as some others might be because you have paid debts late and not as agreed in the past. Or sometimes a low credit score can also mean that you just don't have a history yet or much of a history where they can gauge you. So it's essentially like a referral. So, you know, if if a friend approached you and said, I want to borrow $100 and your other friend said, uh, he borrowed money from me before and he never paid it back or he paid it late. That's sort of an unofficial version of a credit score in and of itself. Here's one from our intern, David, who is finishing up one level of school and going on to the next. As someone who's going to grad school in the fall and is going to be applying for loans, I guess my question is, How is all this going to impact that process? It won't. This is not going to forgive future loans. This is a once in a lifetime situation. We've never seen it proposed before. We will almost certainly never see it again. The stars had to be aligned in a very specific way for the debt relief to even be proposed in the first place. So nobody should be borrowing, including you, anticipating future student loan forgiveness. All right, I want us to listen to a call here about private student loans. I've noticed that my private loan for student loans has gone up in the past few months, uh, twice now. They've given me notices of my payment amount increasing. Is that something that will be affected by the forgiveness program? 
Private loans are not affected by this at all and will not be. Unfortunately, based on where we're at with the economy where interest rates as a whole are going up, it's not a surprise and is expected that private student loans that have a variable interest rate are going up, sometimes monthly, sometimes quarterly. The best thing to do to counteract that is, and which could be difficult for someone who's still in school, is to re- try to refinance those loans to a lower fixed rate so it's not affected by the current market. All right, don't go away. There's a lot more on what's happening with student loan forgiveness. About 600,000 people go missing every year in the U.S., prompting family members to become amateur detectives. On the trail of one missing person is journalist Tanya Mosley. Why do you think you hesitated when we first met in telling me the full details about your mother's disappearance? It's heartbreaking. I didn't want to break your heart. I'm Kai Wright. Tanya Mosley joins me next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, it's Melissa Harris-Perry, and you're back with The Takeaway. We're continuing our conversation with Betsy Mayotte, president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, and she's answering your questions on student loans and student loan forgiveness. Here's another one of our calls. This one's coming in from another one of our producers, Mary. My question is a bit more hypothetical, but I see a lot of people online saying that Biden could just by executive order, wipe out all student debt. And I guess I'm wondering if that's true, but also what is the actual mechanism for wiping out the debt, whether it's, you know, by this executive order idea or by the the way that was initially proposed that's now in court? Yeah, so I just want to point out that I am not an attorney. I'm just a student loan nerd. I will tell you that people a lot smarter than me that are attorneys, many of them have shared with me that they do not believe that the President of the United States, even under executive order, could wipe away all student debt. The thing about executive orders that I do know is that they can't be contrary to federal statute. So it's not like we don't have a king. Uh, So the President of the United States has to follow the laws just like anybody else. Now, there are some other attorneys that feel differently. They do feel that he would not be violating federal law if he used executive order to wipe out all student debt. Now, what they're using in this case is something called the HEROES Act that was passed, I believe, in 2003 by Congress. And in the HEROES Act, which means it's federal law, the president does have the authority to do things that are contrary to federal law in cases of national emergency. So they're using the national emergency of COVID. The argument, the legal argument that they've used is the national emergency of COVID gives President Biden the authority to do something that's contrary to statute, in which case it means wiping away 10 or 20 grand of some federal student loan borrower's loans. All right. I've got one here from a parent. I was wondering what happens to parent plus loans or parent assistance loans for their children that went to college? I'm pleased to say that Parent PLUS loans were included in this proposal. So if the Supreme Court allows it to go through, and assuming that the parent borrower's income meets the threshold, which is just a gross income of 125000 or less for a single borrower and an AGI of 250000 or less 
for a married couple, then they will be just as eligible for this debt relief as a student borrower is. One last call here, and this is asking about forbearance. I have a lot of student loan debt, and it has compounded over the years by about seven or $8,000 because I've had to be in forbearances and deferments for, um, for economic hardship. So my question is, I'm still short of the 120 because of all of those forbearances and deferments. I heard that there was something where those would be counted. I, that's my question. What What is going on with that? So I assume this caller is talking about the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Under Public Service Loan Forgiveness, if a borrower makes 120 payments that are based on their income while working full-time for either an eligible nonprofit organization or a government employer, then the balance of their loan is forgiven. Now, there's been a couple of temporary waivers that have been put into place during COVID that allows borrowers to have months that normally would not count for PSLF to count. And some of those do include some periods of forbearance of deferment, as the caller mentioned. Now, one of those waivers has expired. It expired on October 31st. But the the waiver that is going to count those defer some of those deferments and forbearances is just sort of starting. Um, the Department of Education applied it uh, or is applying it to borrowers who are at 120 now. Everybody else will not see that applied to their account until probably this summer. Okay. Let's say it all goes, you know, you said that the Supreme Court is deciding and with relative swiftness here whether to bless or not this Biden-Harris plan. Let's say they come back and say, you know what? No. What are your, what is your understanding of what the Biden administration might have after this? Well, they could take another bite at the apple if their legal department has found another potentially legal pathway to do it. They could offer another proposal. I don't know if they would do that. I feel like they probably put their, their best eggs in that basket to begin with. They could work with Congress and try to get Congress to do it legislatively. The margins are so slim in Congress right now as far as Democrat to Republican, and this issue is such a political hot potato. I'm not sure how successful that might be either. Or, you know, like I said, they could try a, a different legal argument. I loved when you said earlier, you've been you've been doing this since the earth cooled. I, I know the feeling. So as we go out, let me just ask, is there any sort of general advice that you give to folks, either as they're starting their um, educational journey and trying to think about how, um, you know, like what constitutes good decision making around this or, um, or maybe at the back end of their journey where they the decisions have been made one way or another, sort of what is your overall takeaways when it comes to student loans? Well, I have a few. The first and most important one that I always tell borrowers is to read all the things. A remarkable number of emails uh, that we get from borrowers that are reaching out to Tisla for help started off with, well, no one ever told me. Unfortunately, that's usually not the case. Um, I strongly encourage people to understand their rights and the benefits and their responsibilities by reading the student loan promissory note. I know that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but it, it really gives you, it's going to let you know what to expect to make sure there's no surprises down the road. Another takeaway is um, 
you know, one of the things we like to say in this industry is that if you live like a lawyer when you're a student, you're going to live like a student when you're a lawyer. And that is just sort of a, a cheeky way of saying, don't borrow more than you need to and don't borrow or don't borrow assuming forgiveness. The vast majority of student loans are going to have to be repaid by the borrower. Now, there are programs for relief out there and there are forgiveness programs. And again, under the read all the things, I encourage people to look into those and educate themselves. But again, the vast majority of student loans will end up being repaid by the borrower. Betsy Mayotte, president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, or TISLA. Betsy, thanks so much for joining us and for answering all these questions. It was my pleasure. <laughs>